Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Dorowski, and this week I'm joined by returning guest John Dorowski, as well as co-pilot Andrew Dorowski, to discuss Bao and Four Girl from the graphic novel Boxers and Saints. Welcome, John. Thank you. And Andrew, it's always great to have you in the more uh, inclusive role, where you're not just popping in <laughs> for uh, a witty comment <laughs> every right. 30 minutes, but you're going to be engaged I- more with the general con- discussion. Ironically, as the co-pilot, there's less flyby. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Yeah, we've debated what to call you when you step in for a heavier role during a discussion. I've settled on co-pilot for now, but if listeners have any (laughs) other suggestions, feel free to let us know. Uh, If anyone is unfamiliar, Boxers and Saints is a 2013 graphic novel written and drawn by Gene Luen Yang and directed, or or, and colored, sorry, not directed. (laughs) It was was colored by Lark pian uh in boxers which is one volume it's a two-volume graphic novel in boxers uh we see the story of bow who becomes a leader of the boxer rebellion in saints uh we see the story of four girl or viviana she has both those names and you'll find out why during the synopsis who uh converts to catholicism and has visions of joan of arc and and we should should somewhat interweave should mention that if you don't know the boxer rebellion this takes place in china and the early 1900s. Uh, yeah, late 1800s, early 1900s. It was, uh, I, I've got a few notes down in in uh, the, the trivia, but it was um, a rebellion by the poor class of um, the Chinese against what they felt were imperialistic uh, outsiders who were coming into the country and changing their culture, particularly in terms of religion, as you had lots of Catholic missionaries entering China at this point. And so these... Uh, there's this rebellion from the lower classes that form almost a pseudo army uh, that try to force out uh, any foreigners and any any uh, Christians uh, from 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 China, and it turns very brutal on both sides very quickly. So, Andrew, how did you first come to the graphic novel Boxers and Saints? I that's tough to remember because I know it's been on my shelf for a long time. I definitely bought it shortly after it was released. And I think it's because I had just read American born Chinese, um, which we already discussed on this podcast. And, and he was just releasing boxers and saints and it was getting good buzz. Um, and so I think I bought it at, at the comic shop. They had it. And so I just picked it up um, because I was like, well, I just finished reading that and it was amazing. And he just released something new and that's probably going to be amazing. So I'm just going to get it. <laughs> And then, and that, yeah, that was about it. So yeah, I mean, a a creator whose work you had already enjoyed with a new project that has good buzz, that is a great combination to make you interested. Yeah. Uh, And I happen to know your your copy, which is what I read, because I had not read this one until this week in preparation for this podcast, uh, was signed by Gene Luen Yang. How How did that come about? That's actually thanks to John, I believe. Gene Luen Yang was doing um, a presentation at our local library. Um, I think this was when he was being the Library of Congress ambassador for young readers or something. He was doing a lot of library tours. Well, this was a, we'll get to that. It, it was an event at the Provo Library that they do every year, a uh, young readers mm-hmm. event. Um, and he was the keynote. Yeah. I mean, this is probably during his, his biggest days. Not that he has, not that he's small potatoes in, yeah, in comic sort of- books now, but he kind of had a heyday 
around when Boxers and Saints yeah, came so out. Yeah, so this would have been around when Boxers and Saints came out, and then I think around when they had just announced he was going to take over Superman at DC. Yeah, okay. and so I sent it with John to get those signed. Yeah. Okay. John, so do you remember I, I met, how you came to it? Um, well, much like Andrew, I was very aware of the buzz. I had read American Board Chinese and loved it. Um, I just never bought and read this until uh, now. Um, but I did meet Jing Yuan Yang briefly to get uh, this signed and a copy of American Born Chinese signed. All right. Um, but uh, like yeah, this was my first time reading it. Yeah, my first time reading it was for this podcast, though. I knew about it. I knew about the great reviews that it had and um, the his reputation as a graphic novelist, both from American Born Chinese. So some of his independent work, but then also he's done some more mainstream work. And um, he's also uh, so, so like Superman for DC Comics. He, he was a writer on that, but he's also done um, like he, he worked with the Avatar Last Airbender series. I think that was being done. So he's done some licensed yeah. work like that. And he revived um, a character that may have been the first Chinese American superhero uh, <laughs> for 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 another project. So I, I like I, I hear his name floating around a lot uh, for for graphic novel work. Um, but the the main one that I've, I'm familiar with him from is is American Born Chinese, which was you know won all the awards <laughs> when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew he's, this was going to be good. I just hadn't gotten to it. Uh, and so I was happy that we put this on the schedule because I'm like, okay, that's one I've been wanting to read for years, basically. Yeah, he has about as much name recognition as any comic book writer gets, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Um, and maybe even more than some outside of comic books. Well, as a graphic novelist, he has great acclaim. Um Within the superhero circles, he's done some work, but he's not acclaimed. There. Yeah, and that doesn't seem like his his thing yeah. as much. It, I don't think it's what he really has as much passion for. No, I think that it's um, these graphic novels about the Chinese American or the Chinese experience. Yeah, like this cultural, cross-cultural experience really is his, his bread and butter. Yeah. All right, some trivia about Boxers and Saints. Um, as we kind of noted in talking about how we came to this text, Yang was named an ambassador for young people's literature by Congress in 2016, and that is a two-year tenure if you're one of those ambassadors. Uh, and then he has also received a genius grant from the MacArthur Foundation, which is, I think, the informal name for it. The formal name is a MacArthur Fellowship, um, which is, if you're unfamiliar, it is... I've heard it called the most prestigious no strings attached grant possible because it is, you don't even know you're up for it. You can't put your own name in. You have to be nominated anonymously. And then there's an anonymous panel that reviews nominations. And then most people find out they were even, there was even a whisper that they might become a a MacArthur fellow when they get a phone call telling them, Hey, you're MacArthur fellow. And, um, the last number I saw is I, I think it, it's a grant that pays out $600,000 across four or five years with the goal of just saying, please keep doing work. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> um, Yang has also won multiple Eisner awards. Uh, he won for American Board Chinese and also for um, a shorter collaborative work that he did called the, the eternal smile boxers and saints took six years to complete. Um, he said the first two years were just research about the Boxer Rebellion, and then the next four years were working out the story, thumbnailing. Uh, he said he did the Boxer volume first, and then the Saints volume. Um, I guess we should note that it comes in those two volumes, Boxers and Saints, and it's called Boxers and Saints, but I think you can pretty much read whatever order you want, and the story would work. I read Boxer first and then Saint because I've always heard it called Boxers and Saints. Uh, the first time I read it, I read Saints first because it was shorter. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, I would think. I think reading them. I think boxers does work better as the first volume. I think so, but I don't. It it doesn't hurt to do it either way. Um, yeah. You know, and I think they're actually dense enough and good enough that you might want to kind of read both of them twice in quick succession. You might want to go. <laughs> Boxers, Saints, Boxers, Saints to to really get everything out of it. Because there are definitely um, nods and, and moments where they interweave, not 
like you, I, I, they're setting alone enough that I think you could read one and put it down and then come back weeks later to the other one and you'd be satisfied with the story mm-hmm. that you had just read. Um, but reading them together in quick succession, you see where there's nods to each other. And uh, as you'll see in the, in the summary, you know, so, some key moments that happen are uh, points of interaction between these. And you see it presented in one point of view in boxers and a different point of view in saints. I found a couple quotes from Yang uh, from an article by Dan Solomon that was published in the Austin Chronicle. It was called uh, Gene Liu and Yang's Boxers and Saints Duo Takes on the Boxer Rebellion. And I just wanted to share a couple of the quotes here. Um, When he was asked about doing it in two volumes as somewhat standalone stories, uh, he said, the reason why I wanted to do two volumes was I just felt so ambivalent about the Boxer Rebellion. The more I read, the more I couldn't decide who the good guys and the bad guys were. So that ambivalence was at the root. And also when I thought about the boxers, I saw a lot of connections between them and modern day terrorists. So in a lot of ways, I was trying to write a story of a young man who was essentially terrorist, but I wanted him to be sympathetic, but I also didn't want to feel like I was condoning terrorism. So it was kind of a fine line to walk. (laughs) Uh, And I think he's pretty successful in that where uh, you see Bao, uh, you, you see a more noble starting point, and you also see the descent into actions that are pretty unforgivable right uh as it as it goes on but you see that path take uh you, you see how he got onto that path and 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 how that descent happens um yeah and, and i think we'll we'll talk about that in the once you've given the full layout yeah um and and talking about how this is historical fiction um with a heavy dose of magical realism thrown in i would also say or or um mysticism layered on top of the historical reality of it uh he said with the boxer rebellion nobody is sure how the boxer rebellion got started because it was started among the poor and the history of the poor is often just unrecorded that's sad in a way but from a historical uh, fiction perspective it gave me a lot of leeway so i was able to create this character bow and just take bits and pieces that we do know about the beginnings of the boxer rebellion and weave it into his fictional life story um so i i think you read this and you know that there are elements of this that are, are completely factual and elements that are just, you know, and, uh, completely fictional. Uh, and the way it's presented, there's really, I think any reader at any level can kind of intuit which beats are which. Well, I re- read this and then I went and read the Wikipedia article about the box. Rebellion I did as well. Facts. And like he is trying so hard to be accurate as to events, mm-hmm. but on the characters, he, he's able to have that leeway to create them. But uh, some of that mysticism was real, it, or or you know perceived. Yeah. You know these were things that, that were that in the in their perspective. Um, this is yes. what was going on. Yeah, yeah. The um, the way. So we when he talks about the Boxer Rebellion, he ta- he presents it as the spirits of Chinese gods possessing the bodies of um, the the members of the rebellion. And that was part of the belief structure of the boxers who were rebelling against um, the. What, what they refer to as the foreign devils in the story, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, before we move on to those summaries where we'll get into more of those details, we would like to thank you for supporting us, listeners, and downloading this episode. And we also want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And I'll just say in our upcoming quick cast, you'll be able to hear me lament how often I've been cretude by this year's box office releases. <laughs> I believe I'm up to so, three some films new announcements. That, that have been moved off the schedule for all of 2019 that I had in our fantasy box office. It's okay. I have Avengers Endgame. I'm doing all right. Uh, all right. Spoilers uh, dis- discussion of Boxers and Saints. And um, as is so often the case with graphic novels, I'm going to give a brief summary you really should go read this and appreciate the art and uh, the way the story gets presented in that format. The summary is not going to do justice to what is a really skillfully told story in boxers and saints. In, in mentioning the art, I should say it's going to be deceptively all ages in the art style and not in the story. Yeah. There's uh, some levels of violence that you wouldn't just hand this to a, a second grader and say, go, go have fun reading about the boxer rebellion. And, and I don't think that you would be expecting this level of violence based on the art. The art is 
you know, kind of straightforward and like not immature. That is not the term I want to use. Um, I, I don't know that this description, I, I think uh, it's going to sound a little infantilizing about it. And I don't think that's completely accurate, but it feels more cartoony than a serious graphic novel addressing the box rebellion, right? So there's a little, yeah. uh, a, a, a little mental disconnect that can happen between what feels like a little more child-friendly cartoony style in the art and this super serious subject matter. Um, yeah. being explored. Like, but I don't want that to feel like I'm denigrating the quality of the art. I think it's a deliberate choice. It is a style. You see the same style in American born Chinese. And it certainly does work. I think to, to have that, what, what it feels like a disconnect. I, I think it gives a it, really interesting reaction. I, it almost makes me think of how mouse decided, decided to depict everyone, not as human characters. In this case, he depicts everyone with a kind of, minimalist straightforward approach um yeah. and and yet tells a very deep sophisticated human story i i think that's a good connection to make uh, the, uh, uh tying this one to mouse is something that fits stylistically and thematically and also quality wise i both are icons of the graphic novel world right all right with the boxer volumes i'm going to summarize that one first and then i'll summarize the saints volume uh, and throughout, uh, there's kind of like chapter breaks where you're just given a year uh, as like there's a blank page with just a year on it. And then you turn and the story is continuing. So we start in 1894. Spring is Bao's favorite time of year. There are often fairs where his father and older brothers leave him alone and he can go watch the operas. Also, a statue of Tu Di Gong, the local earth god, is brought out, out from the temple. At night, he dreams of the masked gods from the operas. In fall, things are less exciting. Bao does see a girl with a scary face that reminds him of an opera mask, but that's about it for interesting events until one day when a man is demanding his money back from an old lady and Bao's father steps in to resolve things. When the man attacks Bao's father, Bao's father defeats him. And Bao now imagines his father like one of the gods from the operas. Then the man comes back with a foreigner and many other men who are all wearing uh, crucifixes. This foreigner makes Bao's father give the man some of his goods for, uh, that his father was sell- selling for having beaten him earlier. The foreigner also sees the stat- statue of Tu Di Gong and breaks it. The men of the village send Bao's father and another man to the local magistrate to try and address this issue. But uh, that other man and Bao's father return home bloodied and beaten by foreign soldiers. Bao's father is now just a shell of his former self. 1898. A man named Red Lantern comes through town and practices Kung Fu. The men of the village are eager to be trained by him. Bao tries to join in, but his older brothers won't let him. He, uh, Red Lantern sees Bao's eagerness and secretly begins training him at night. Red Lantern brings swords for the men, but won't let Bao take one. He does give Bao a map, though. And when Bao follows the map, he is led to the top of a mountain where a sword is in the ground. When he tries to take the sword, a god stops him. Bao uses some kung fu, but the god easily defeats him. The god then says Red Lantern must have sent Bao to be trained and become his, meaning Red Lantern's, replacement. Summer, 1899. The god calls himself Master Big Belly. Bao keeps visiting him and is tasked with tending the god's bean garden. That Bao grows impatient as his village is slowly starving to death. His brothers come back and reveal that foreign troops are searching for members of the Big Sword Society. Um, so the brothers in Red Lantern had gone off on a mission that Bao, you know, wasn't quite sure what it was. Um, and on this mission, Red Lantern was killed. Uh, Bao runs to the mountaintop and claims the sword. Master Big Belly says his bean garden is ready to be harvested. And Bao turns to see a legion of gods floating there. So they're kind of like floating spirits. Bao finds his brothers and some of the other men who have been captured by the soldiers. Bao, okay, this is a hard sense to say. Bao bows towards the bean gar- garden. Uh, so he like turns back towards the mountain and bows down. And the gods flow down. And one of the go- uh, spirit gods who is wearing black robes possesses Bao. Uh, Bao then kills the soldiers and his brothers and the men uh, that have just been freed bow down towards Bao. Uh, Fall, 1899. The Christians are claiming a cow from a village they've already picked over for supplies when an old woman throws herself down, begging them to leave the cow behind. The old woman is killed. The woman's oldest daughter, Mei Wen, attacks the man who killed her mother. The man is about to successfully attack her back, but Bao and his brothers arrive, uh, and they... Bao and his brothers each eat a charm and then turn towards the mountain and all of the men are possessed by spirits of gods. They kill the Christians uh, and then the spirits of the gods leave their bodies. Uh, Bao and his brothers train the men of the village and Bao and one of his brothers both flirt with Mei Wen. The royal army arrives to put down the rebellion of the Big Sword Society. Bao and his men and also Mei Wen are possessed by the spirits of gods and defeat the royal army. Bao and all the men leave uh, uh, as an army, but Mei Wen stays behind. 
Spring 1900, Bao's army comes across a train where a foreign army is loading Chinese men, women, and children into a car. One of Bao's men tells uh, of these tall tales of the evil that foreigners do to Chinese men, women, and children, and disgusted Bao's army attacks the foreigners. Bao's oldest brother, even while possessed by the spirit of a god, is shot and killed. After killing the foreigners, Bao and his army try to release the Chinese, whom they believe had been kidnapped, only to realize that these Chinese are Christians who had converted and were leaving willingly and were actually running away from Bao and his army. Bao calls them secondary devils and orders the men to be killed, uh, but the women and children to be spared. Uh, they come across another royal army and prepare for battle, but this general praises the efforts of Bao and his men to rid China of foreigners and says the empress is impressed with their efforts too. Um, like you guys, I also looked up the history of the Boxer Rebellion, and there was definitely some wavering and back and forth on the official position of the Chinese government as to uh, whether they were supporting the foreigners or supporting the Boxer Rebellion, and it sometimes depended on who was being asked most recently within the government structure. So if, when you're reading along, you're like, why is the royal army attacking them one time and supporting them the next it, that is actually historically accurate that there would have been that kind of give and take relationship and i think it's worth pointing out that this particular royal army were chinese muslims um mm-hmm. that had been incorporated into the into the royal army so they were sort of a special division right. um, of the royal army who seemed to have more loyalty towards the empress specifically mm-hmm. <laughs> who was maybe one of the people that you would or wouldn't ask who she yes. supported. Uh, so now Bao and his army go and find a walled city that is a Christian stronghold. They attempt to attack it, but are repelled by foreign troops. Bao is wounded. May win arrives with an army of women who are all possessed by spirit gods, and the tide of battle turns. Bao recovers and finds his brother leading a Christian woman into an alley. Bao tells his brother to move on and recognizes the woman as the girl with the face like an opera mask that he saw when he was just a kid. Bao tells her to renounce her faith or he will kill her. We see a panel of the alley entrance, and then we see a panel with Bao walking out holding a bloody sword. Bao then finds all the remaining Christians and they are praying in a church. Their priest has been shot with an arrow and is dead. And Bao orders the door of the church locked and the church burnt to the ground with the Christians inside of it. Uh, 1900, after burying their dead, Bao and his brother disciples are joined by Mei Wen and her sister disciples on a journey to Peking to purge China of foreign devils. In Peking, the foreign soldiers and Christians are housed in a walled portion of the city. Mei Wen takes Bao to a great library where her father worked and where she had visited as a child. It is one of her favorite places, both for nostalgic reasons and also because of all the knowledge that it contains. This is the repository of Chinese knowledge. After a battle breaks out, Bao decides that in order to break through the stronghold to where the foreigners are housed, he must burn down the library, which borders the stronghold so this would remove one of the walls um and he does burn the library with all the books inside though uh some people do rush in and try and remove some of the books when the library burns including down including may when what was that including may when yes, who is inside Mayweather. when it collapses mm-hmm Uh, When the building burns down, though, soldiers are armed on the other side and they open fire at the coming boxers and kill, well, shoot Bao and many of his disciples. All right. Saints, uh, the second volume, age eight. Four girl, and that is the name that we're given for her, is the fourth daughter born to her family. She is so rejected by her family that she's not even given a name and she eventually tries to contort her face to look like a demon. Just, it seems like to get attention or because she feels so hated. She wants to look as hated as she feels. Her family is so put off by this devil face that she's taken to an acupuncturist. She notices that he has a crucifix on his wall. Instead of treating her, he makes her laugh and her face relaxes. After she sees men wearing crucifixes break a statue of an earth god, she goes back to the acupuncturist to ask about the crucifix and what it means. His wife brings her cookies as she listens to the man tell stories about Jesus and uh, for a girl falls asleep. While this is happening, she returns home to her grandfather who hits her for going to learn from the Christians. Angry, for a girl mutters a hex on her grandfather and when her grandfather falls ill and dies, she feels incredibly guilty. After her grandfather's death, for a girl has a vision and though she doesn't know who it is, to the reader, this is Joan of Arc. She tells the acupuncturist uh, about her visions and he takes her to the foreign priest who is called Father Bay. And he identifies her vision as being of Joan of Arc. For a girl begins a very inquisitive instruction about Christianity. And she takes the Christian name Viviana and is baptized into the church, which angers her family. After she is hit by a different member of her family because she converted to Christianity, she runs away to travel with Father Bay who is moving on. And throughout this whole process, she's had several more visions of Joan of Arc that was not just a one-time thing. We jump ahead to age 14. Viviana is helping to run a Christian 
uh, orphanage, one fellow uh, member of the orphanage or uh, helper is named Kong, and he has scars all over his face. And Viviana says she feels a fluttering every time he's near. After they get closer uh, as friends, Kong tells her that he was part of a gang that accidentally killed a man in a robbery. While hiding, they came across a man named Yu who was traveling with Father Bay. Yu, knowing that Father Bay did not speak Chinese, says the robbers are his brothers, and Father Bay gives them all crucifixes to wear as they travel. Uh, to a village to right a perceived injustice. Uh, eventually, Father Bay's Chinese improves, and he realizes these men were not good Christians, as you had told him. Uh, but Kong actually wants to stay with Father Bay after he banishes them. And you carved whiskers into Kong's face, calling him a rat for staying with Father Bay. A group of women and children come seeking sanctuary, saying a group called the Society of the Righteous and Harmonious Fist had killed uh, the men, their their husbands and fathers. Uh, and Kong asks Viviana to marry him, but she says that after all of her continuing visions of Joan of Arc, she believes God is calling her to be a maiden warrior and she cannot get married. Age 15. Kong starts to train Viviana to be a warrior. Uh, foreign soldiers come to protect the church and orphanage and the women and children that had just come. The acupuncturist and his wife come as well. And Vivi Vivi Viviana is very happy to see them, though Father Bay is less pleased, saying that they betrayed his trust. One night in the woods, Viviana comes across her cousin, who reveals he is part of an army that is cleansing China. In the morning, they see the Society of the Righteous and Harmonious Fist has amassed outside of their walls, and Viviana runs to find the acupuncturist, but discovers uh, that he and his wife are using opium. They are addicts, which is why Father Bay said that they betrayed him. During the battle, Bao's brother captures Viviana, and Bao uh, comes and stops the brother from taking her to the alley to rape her, it seems. Uh, but then Bao tells her that she must deny her faith if he's going to let her live. She asks if she can pray, and she kneels to pray. While she's kneeling, she has a vision of Joan of Arc dying at the stake and, and then Jesus dying on the cross and then Bao kills her and she dies saying, I couldn't save anyone. Epilogue, Bao. So now we jump over to to the, the boxer's story. Bao wakes up and he's in a pit of burning bodies and he crawls out of this pit and a foreign soldier points a gun at him and Bao kneels and imitates the prayer that he saw Viviana say and then the soldier lets him go, believing him to be a Christian. Though he is wounded, he reunites with his sole surviving brother as they watch the foreign soldiers walk through a burning Peking. The end. What a light story, guys. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's some heft to it. Yes. <laughs> and there's, uh, I mean, there's definitely some thematic things that you couldn't even cover in the summary that I think are going to come up. Um, like the treatment of Bao's father. There was a friend from his village that he reconnects with later in, um, in Peking. And I think there's kind of some thematic similarities there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's really good. Everybody like, <laughs> <laughs> you you, you, you kind of need to experience it in full. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's good. It, it's complex. And it doesn't tie up the themes. It doesn't present the themes for you on a platter. Like you're just kind of left feeling like, oh, <laughs> which mm. seems to be what Yang says he felt studying the Boxer Rebellion. You're just kind of left feeling like, mm. <laughs> oh. uh, also, uh, it reveals a part of history that we don't get taught about here in the West. Yeah, oh, it's no, not very often. in some history books. Yeah, you might get yeah, something. Yeah, like I know I heard of the Boxer Rebellion, and I thought the name sounded like boxer, like punching boxers. <laughs> like I, I well, didn't know I a whole the, lot of what what it was. I knew it happened in China, but I could not have told you very many details. Um, it, just from from my schooling growing up uh, think, as to what the Boxer Rebellion was. But that is, that is why they were called boxers, isn't it? Because they use kung fu. It was Chinese boxing. Yeah. And so it was considered Chinese yeah. boxing. And so yeah. these Chinese martial artists. I think the Boxer Rebellion is also referenced in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Spike kills a slayer during the Boxer Rebellion, and they have a flashback to it for a few minutes. But they don't give any context for yeah. what the Boxer Rebellion is there. They just flashes on the screen, Boxer Rebellion. And I feel like, like my... Casual is even too good a term for it, but my awareness of it, I thought had to do a lot more with opium, which does not seem to be the case. And so I don't know if it got mixed in with opium wars in China. Opium wars happened before this. Yeah, which is what I think. But I think it may have all just kind of been summarized into a single paragraph or page in a history book in junior high. Well, because that's 
in junior high, you're getting the Western perspective is talking about yeah. the empires coming into China. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're only get We'll get a brief message of what they did there because they like to gloss over some of that history. <laughs> yes. And uh, in reading this, it's like nobody, I mean, when you talk about like the moral ambiguity and everything like that, nobody seems right about much. Yeah. No one's in the right. No one's in the absolute wrong. Yes. But it's, and it's, and it's not exclusively misunderstanding. Like there's definitely like absolute mistreatment. Like people are doing bad things I think at that's, times. And that's yeah, why it's so like, important that we have okay, the two volumes. The church and burning it. That is a, uh, unambiguous it's, it's a real bad evil act right yes uh yeah. but it's also covered with all these uh, other layers where uh, like like in comparing it to a terrorist group like you see the some of the moments in which bow gets radicalized along this journey because of the treatment that his people are receiving from uh the for, both the ford army in general but also through the forders in the in the the guys of father bay who just comes in and breaks their god right and shatters um yeah the, the, the statue of, of their earth god um you know that's uh, a transition point for bow that it's not turning him into the person who burns all the christians within their church but it puts him onto that path right like that's a pivot point in his life story yeah and there's also moments on in in both volumes where you see people on each side having their perspective fueled by things that aren't true um bow is told by what one of the local governors or something that they keep alive all these stories about what the westerners do and it fuels their disgust with the western traditions and and all of that and then on the saint's side um father bay tells a story about all these things he heard about chinese people who needed christianity and viviana or or four girl thinks to herself like I've never seen anybody do anything like that. That's not true. Yeah. But it's, it, it's stuff about, you know, like medicine from livers and eyeballs and things like that. She's like, that's not true. Yeah. There's um, in, on both sides, you see this dehumanizing of the other um, mm-hmm. that allows some of the, the violence justification. Yeah. The ju- justifies the, uh, the violence that's going to be enacted. Um, and, uh, and, and that's an important case, term here. Oh, go ahead, John. That's an important term to justification because each side feels like they are pursuing a form of justice. Yeah. That is a theme I get a lot in this is um, this idea of justice. And then how, if you keep pursuing just justice, it becomes warped and Mm -hmm. it has to be balanced out by mercy. And we get several mentions of that throughout eventually that um, Viviana's last vision is Joan of Arc being burned, but then she has a vision of Christ and it's, a message of you have to have mercy on the people who hurt you. Yeah. And, and she, and she tells Bao to listen to her prayer. Yeah. And I think, which is what saves Bao's life later. We find out. Yeah. Which, it, and the last thing she thinks is I didn't save anyone except the person that killed you. Yeah. And then on, in, uh, boxers, when they go to the library, um, may when tells us, uh, Bao a story, that's about having mercy about mm-hmm. this great goddess who, or woman who became a goddess because she was so merciful to others and so compassionate. And so you, you see that, uh, yeah, yes, the justice is important, but it has to be tempered. Otherwise you end up with these terrible radical acts. Yeah. And w- I mean, which can't be justified. Even he, as we're saying, we see the justification that yeah. they tell themselves in the course of, well, it's, of yeah, it's, carrying these out. They, they start wanting justice, but it becomes warped as they, go along and just adhere to that one path and not temper it in any way. Yeah. And um, Yang is definitely putting these things in as parallels to each other on both sides with the Christianity mercy and the, the story in the library mercy. And Mei-Wen draws an eye on, on her hand as like a reminder of, of mercy. And then when Viviana has her vision of Christ expressing mercy, there's eyes on, on the palms of hands. It's part of, that vision. And so he's saying, you know, here is, here's a parallel. Both sides have like the teaching, the mythology, the theology to have this message. Are they, are they grasping it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and talking about some of this ambiguity, there's one other quote from that Austin Chronicle S or, uh, uh, interview with, uh, Lu Yang that I read that, um, was interesting to me. I didn't put it in the trivia, but uh, cause it, it doesn't really stand, stand out until you've heard some of the story. And it's about 
the character of the acupuncturist who uh in in the story uh is a christian but then father bay we find out later that father bay leaves the town and leaves the acupuncturist behind because he found out that the acupuncturist was addicted to opium and he, he viewed that as um as like a, a sin that uh w- was too far for him and uh he says uh this quote um in the year 2000 John Paul II canonized a whole bunch of Chinese Catholic saints. I grew up in a Chinese Catholic community, and my home church was just super excited about it. That kind of inspired me to look at the saints. So one of the characters in Saints is based on a canonized Chinese saint, the character of Dr. Wan, who was the acupuncturist. It was later revealed that he was actually an opium addict as well. That's based on a Catholic saint known as St. Mark of China, who was an acupuncturist, and he was known for seeing the poor free of charge. And then when he was middle-aged, when he was in his 40s, he developed a really bad case of stomach sickness. So he treated himself with opium. And after that, he became addicted to opium and spent the last 30 years of his life struggling with this addiction and never kicking it. Back then, they didn't have the understanding of addiction that we do now. He was actually kind of kicked out of the church. His parish priest refused to give him sacraments. He wasn't allowed to go take Eucharist, and he was kind of an outcast. And then he was killed during the Boxer Rebellion, and 100 years later, he was canonized. As far as I know, he was the only addict saint because he he never kicked it kicked it it's not like he ever had that moment where he overcame his addiction he died an addict and uh the interviewer uh whose name is dan solomon uh said that's fascinating the addict saint that's actually a lot of moral ambiguity in both books uh there's a lot of moral ambiguity in both books that's really fascinating um which the, the idea of this like addict saint like once you hear that it immediately sounds like well there's there's ambiguity and and contradiction within there and i think there's ambiguity and contradiction in both uh, the Christian side that we see portrayed in saints and in the boxer side that we see portrayed in boxers. I think it's worth mentioning what happens to Dr. Wu in the story then where um, the priest had uh, rejected mm-hmm. the doctor because of this addiction. He wasn't happy that they had taken refuge in the city, but when the um, boxers are attacking, um, they come in before they burn the church, they come in and uh, are going to kill the priest and Dr. Wu jumps in front of an arrow that was aimed at the priest and uh, the priest says, Oh, I, I see now I was wrong about this, about this man. And then they shoot another arrow and kill the priest. Yeah. So, but the uh, priest last, last moment is seeing, uh, Wu make that sacrifice and realizing that he had, um, miss, uh, I mean, just misread. Uh, yeah. Well, that you can't judge a person solely on, they're, this one, they're one flaws, thing, uh, right? like a, on a, a flaw. Yeah, this one flaw is and, not condemn the, the condemn Doctor Wu. And I think there's definitely some symbolism because he's shot with an arrow in his in the stomach, which is why he was taking the opium because he had stomach pain. And and so there's a lot going on with this moment. Well, and then also, yeah, thought, I'm not quite sure how it all connects, but the god, the the big belly was his name, that's on top of the mountain. Uh, when <laughs> mm-hmm, when yeah. he finally says Bao is ready, basically to lead the boxer rebellion, he 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 takes off his shirt, and you see that his belly is a giant eye. <laughs> um, so was, I think there is something going on with belly, but I don't quite know how to connect all of these dots. Yeah, I like I need to read this really closely a few times mm-hmm. to kind of get everything together. Like there's a number of themes that are going on and they're in both books and it's throughout both books. And so it's kind of hard to get a good hold of it when you're reading it to try and get the story the first time. Yeah. I I think it's uh, the kind of text that would reward that deeper interrogation of some of these ideas that you see, like on the first read through, like to go back and, and be actively looking for those, I think would be very rewarding. Also going and learning some more about these uh, Chinese deities mm-hmm. and some of the historical stories that they reference. Um, one's one key one's the founding of China, but there's also this romance of the three kingdoms is another one mm-hmm. that comes up and, uh, you know, go ringing up onto some of those. So you get that context and understand, Oh, this is what they're actually symbolizing here or what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, I want to, I mentioned this when you were doing your your summary, but I want to like dig into it a little bit. The the imperial army that does ally with the boxers, um, the 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 Muslim uh, Chinese army. Why are the boxers comfortable accepting them as allies while they attack Christians? Because that seems to be their largest uh, conflict is is religious based. You know, this is violating our Chinese heritage and religion and tradition, but they don't feel that way 
towards the Muslim army. Well, I mean, well, there's there's a double layer there. There is the religion, but they do call the uh, foreigners foreign devils, and they call Chinese who have converted to, to Catholicism as uh, secondary devils. Is that what the, the term is? Yes. yes, secondary devils. So there, there is like the the othering is also being foreign as well as being a different religion. And then there's like this lesser othering that happens to the uh, Chinese who are the religious other. So there's like tears part there of it as well. And part of it also has to do with history that I believe uh, Islam has a much longer tradition mm-hmm. in China through India than uh, Christianity. It was, this is kind of seen as, or portrayed as Christianity as part of these imperialist Westerners who are coming in and taking over. Uh, whereas the Muslims had been there for generations. So I don't know how the Muslim Chinese were treated actually mm-hmm. in history. Um, but I can yeah, see, how, I can how long see was that, their um, integration period? Yeah, but I could see that. I will say. Uh, and this, oh, I was just going to say, I very like today and yesterday, I listened to a couple podcasts about, um, this one area of China that was majority Muslim and was almost its own separate culture that China has kind of actively been trying to make more like the rest of China by the, like incentivizing uh, a lot of movement of uh, other Chinese citizens to that area to lessen these uh, the statistical like numbers, the, you know, the mass of Muslim mm-hmm. Chinese that are there. Whereas it used to be like 95%. Now it's less than 50% of the people in the area are Muslim Chinese and other um, kind of problematic actions they've taken that uh, well, yeah. just recently the, the U S government referred to it as some concentration camps uh, for, where yeah. um, members of that Muslim community get taken and, um, educated or indoctrinated into traditional Chinese thought and then get put the, are allowed back out once they pass certain tests. But that's, that's happening like right now in 2019. I don't know what was going on yes. <laughs> in, in, during the, the time of the boxer rebellion. Mm-hmm. I guess this is one of those areas where, where our, our ignorance uh, about a, t- a topic shows and, and like we're interested, but we just don't have enough context to really be able to, to lend the insight that is probably there for someone like uh, uh, Luan Yang, who spent two years just researching this historical moment in order to prepare to make this, this uh, graphic novel. I think one of the parallels we could discuss is the uh, use of spirituality and more mm-hmm. the mystical side of faith. Um, where Vibiana has visions of Joan of Arc, even though she has no idea who Joan of Arc is. Uh, and Bao has these visions of, and we don't know if anyone else sees it this way. We just have his perspective that uh, the, the they, possession by, yeah, the, possessed by these, the God spirits, the God spirits. Um, he has other visions about uh, the, the first are. emperor of China. Yeah, like he, the man, the, a spirit in black that initially possesses him. Uh, he comes to learn was the first emperor and uh, the first emperor wasn't a great guy <laughs> when it came to unifying China. It seemed to be some problematic uh, policies. Yeah. So like, yeah, he did, he did unify China and bring stability to the region, but you have to do some problematic things to do that. And so that's par- They're trying to draw this parallel of uh, the boxers have to have that same attitude. And Bao's very conflicted about that. Now he does want, to do this for China, but uh, he doesn't want to go to the extremes necessarily that others it was like the first emperor wanted him to, but, but eventually he, he really goes to several extremes. Uh, well, eventually he comes to embrace that role. And, um, but that, I think that, uh, that sense of mysticism um, shows a commonality between the two cultures that they want to, de- the cultures themselves want to deny mm-hmm. that they don't want to have a dialogue about what their similarities are and what, they could possibly build on these commonalities um, rather they want to uh, separate them completely. Yeah. It's um, sort of like when we talked about the justification through dehumanization, Mm -hmm. it's almost like they also have this justification through this sort of absolute view of the rightness of their um, tradition, right, through righteousness, yes. um, right? their, like, their theological tradition. Like there's a righteousness to their cause, which I mean, in, in America, we have this or that with manifest destiny and a lot of things that uh, are, are pretty terrible. And like with our, our present point of view, we look back and say, Ooh, how did, how did that one happen that had 
in mm-hmm. the minds of those who are enacting these policies uh, or carrying out the very acts themselves, there was a righteous cause behind this. And it was for the greater good of themselves, of their country, of the world. And also they would convince themselves sometimes uh, the, the greater good of those who are on the receiving end of the violence. <laughs> this is a good, yeah, th- be a, those who are suffering. Yeah. All right. This is going to be for their own good in the end. Um, it becomes uh, like a, a moral justification. Uh, and it's, uh, when we look back at these other times, sometimes it's hard to understand what seems to us to be an obvious uh, uh, intellectual disconnect that must have been taking place. Uh, but but when you're um, engaged so emotionally and and uh, and and intellectually and phys- physically with with a certain course of action, uh, I think those those reasonings can get can can. Well, obviously they can get jumbled. <laughs> like we have history all over the world that says things that can feel like they should be um, incompatible become compatible in in moments in ways that, as outsiders and particularly like looking backwards onto the past, it's hard for us to to figure out how those uh, seemingly disparate ideas were held in the same mind uh, at the same time. Hmm. And. Oh. I lost. I had a connection point. I lost it. Nope, that train's gone. Okay. <laughs> Lots of cho- uh, choices for outros here. <laughs> I mean, I, I, listeners, I know Andrew's going to clean some of these pauses up. But one thing we found in discussing this is that, like, we we get onto a subject and we have several minutes of good conversation on it, and then that's about as far as we can go. And there's kind of a pause as we're, as we're looking for what's next. And I think that for us as readers, some of this is that this is a a historical event uh, and a worldview that is so different than our status quo and our, in our present context. And we've been so, um, we haven't been informed about this event in the way that some of the other texts that we engage with, we're, we're very familiar with the historical context is being played with. We know what themes to expect and dig into um, that, that we as, um, as readers and as an audience, uh, we see that there's a depth of ideas here, but we're not quite a hundred percent sure how to engage with it. And I think that says, uh, I, I think that's something to be praised actually uh, about these texts that make us a little uncomfortable because we, we, we don't quite know how to, how to approach it and, and, um, and how to, how to get to it. And as we've said, this is a text that makes us kind of want to engage with it more at a deeper level. Cause we see that depth is there. Uh, but, but it's not, uh, presented uh, it, it for us or, or 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 we're not capable of, of um consuming it accessing as, it. accessing yeah. it as readily as we can some other texts we've talked about on this podcast mm-hmm. and so we're we're accessing these topics but they're kind of sort of in um in chunks <laughs> and so we access this topic and then we access this other topic and we're not stringing it together as fluidly as it actually is presented in in the story like it's it's all brought together and you have this flow of you know you see why bow feels this way and you see why he is accelerating down this path even as you see like maybe you should be backing this up maybe you should you should slow down and not be slaughtering so many people across the countryside and burning down churches full of of worshiping christians like we can see all of that but it tracks through the story and and the pacing is correct that you see why he feels this way, why he is going this way, what his internal monologue that is justifying these further actions is to him. And like, it's all there. Uh, well, it's just hard for us to grapple with in a consistent manner. Right. Well, we've talked a lot about their justification for doing this. Uh, and one of the uh, things that they, not to justify, but to base their actions on is they, the boxers have a credo. Mm-hmm. There are these four, at least four principles that, they one might say commandments yeah uh <laughs> that they follow but we see as bow's trying to reach this goal he breaks each of those in some mm-hmm. way uh one of them is protect the weak mm-hmm. but that doesn't apply to christians <laughs> yeah it's like yeah it's protect the weak on your side and destroy the weak on the opposite yeah. side that may poison your side eventually in theory, possibly like for the greater good. Well, you do see a progression uh, in Bao's treatment. Cause uh, when he first like on the train, he kills the foreign soldiers who are attacking them. So there's this kind of, I, I mean, they instigate the attack, but then it is like in the heat of battle, they kill the foreign soldiers. Then they enter the train and realize the Chinese that are there 
are what they call the secondary devils. Uh, Babao orders, okay, well, spare the women and children, let's kill the men, uh, which feels already like a progression in uh, his, you know, towards the depravity that we see. Like, that's a step further than we would have expected from Bao that we see in the earlier events in this graphic novel, already at that point. And then it's at the church where the, he knows there are women and children in there, and they're in the act of worshiping that he blocks the church and, you know, lights it on fire. So, like, there, it's it's not like uh, a sudden change. Like, there, there are these steps that are... Yeah. yeah, this is all... And then it's all progression. And it's once you... Once you break one rule, it becomes easier to yeah. break it again. Yeah, and then he ultimately gets to burning down the library of Chinese history to protect Chinese history. Yeah, or to protect Chinese culture. And it's like, yeah, this is this is the culture. Well, yeah, like if you burn this down, then you don't have the source and, to to continue and, it and to learn uh, from it. Mei Wei makes it sound like this is burning down the Library of Alexandria. This is the Chinese equivalent. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys both went and read up a bit more about the Boxer Rebellion. I started to read a little bit more of it right out of time before we had to start recording. Do you know if that burning <laughs> of the library was a historical event? It The library burned down. It didn't seem to be totally specific on what happened or whether it was an arson per se. Yeah. Um, but it but that library burned okay. during the Boxer Rebellion, during that phase of the Boxer Rebellion. Yeah. And it was critical in... Um, in, in, a, in a battle thereafter because it broke access to uh, a, a sieged part of the um, city. Well, the city had, they had a section that was walled off for the foreigners mm-hmm. and foreigners basically had complete rule there. They didn't have to follow the Chinese laws. Yeah. And so that's part of the situation that I do set up in the book. One of the things that I read that isn't presented there is that uh, thieves would use this. They would go rob in the Chinese sector and then go over the wall and the Chinese authorities couldn't touch them. Mm-hmm. And this was really starting to bother Chi- the Chinese people. And this was contributed to the revolt. Yeah. And there's definitely non-religious elements that contribute to all of this. You know, not all of the foreigners are religiously involved. Um, some of the, the, um, some of the Christians that are attacked in the, in the boxer section are not, Catholic Christians, they're um, another denomination. Protestants. So, yeah, so different denominations become part of it, and they take refuge with the Catholics, and that's the the church that is burned is a multi-denominational city of, of well, foreign Christians. It became multi-denominational yeah. as they all sought refuge. Yeah, and, and so it's a refugee space, but in the boxer section, they don't differentiate that. Um, you definitely have just outright racism. Um, that seems to be what happened to, to Bao's father, with the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, there's in, they do um, represent foreign language with, with different characters. So you have sections where, you know, you can't understand characters speaking to each other because they're, they're speaking in a, in a foreign language, usually English, I guess is what they, they say. Um, but the characters are consistent well, enough actually, and you can actually go through and translate them. And that's a really rough section to translate. I did it. And that was some rough, harsh words on the foreign soldier side. It wasn't all English. This was a a group of eight Mm. nations. Uh, France was there. Germany. Germany. uh, Kaiser Wilhelm Mm -hmm. was involved actually in the Box Rebellion in some form. Uh, America, Japan. uh, They had the Sino-Chinese War a few years before. That's right. It was part of this group that were coming in. And so it wasn't just Western powers, Mm -hmm. but it's also... Uh, it's multiple Western powers that are getting grouped together. Yeah, you don't get that nuance because uh, for the boxers, it's all just foreign devils. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where they come from. And uh, for this, in the Saints, we only get a very small perspective. We only have a small community that we're looking at. We don't get that whole reach of everything mm-hmm. that's going on. Yeah, but um, you know, so there's all sorts of elements coming in, and then when you're grouping them all together. And assuming that they are all treating you racistly with without um, cultural understanding, without religious understanding, it becomes a really big group that you're fighting against. And you're putting all of the worst things on yeah. that entire Well, you're group. othering them. Yeah, yeah. And all of the negative, all of the worst possible things from any of the groups, the subgroups, are being put onto the group as a whole. And we actually see that on the other side from Father Bay. Uh, who, when he looked at the um, 
pamphlet saying, come teach in China. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all these worst things of stereotyping and racializing the Chinese. And he gets here and it takes a couple of years, but he starts to see that there's more nuance to this. There, because of one of the early scenes that cross over in both volumes is uh, Father Bay destroying the idol of Tu Di Gong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and you get different contexts in each of them. But in each of them, he's also in the wrong. Yeah. But as you get like to he's know, probably being a, a bit too aggressive yeah. there. But in then fact, you get, definitely. Yeah. Then you get to know Father Bay and say, oh, he has learned from that moment. Yeah. He has a better understanding of the Chinese culture and has come to see its nuance. But that bad moment is what people draw on. Yeah. There's the fact that um, the allies from China that he had in that situation had joined him because they were criminals and outcasts from their Chinese society. And so they were seeking support from the foreign society. Yeah. But then they go into a village representing themselves as Christians and they perform criminal actions and that paints Christians in a bad light. And even though Father Bay might denounce them later on, the message is still yeah. being transferred that, okay, the well, Christians are mistreating us. Bao, even the Chinese Christians are mistreating Bao us. Bao only sees the moment of him destroying the the statue. Mm -hmm. He doesn't see later on that Father Bay might have changed. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, just there's loads of prejudice and misunderstanding. Is at the root of a lot of uh, the, the choices that get made. Um, and yeah. there's, and that's, a, and that's where that message of compassion comes mm -hmm. in that if you try to understand the other side, some, you won't, you won't hate them. And, and you have to keep trying yeah. over and over again to see if you can start understanding them because you know, there's a lot of points where it's like, okay, even if they try to understand at this point, this isn't going to go well. If they try to understand at this point, nope, this still isn't going to go well. And then you get to some points like, okay, maybe if, maybe if. Bao and four girl try to understand each other right when he's, you know, going to kill her. Maybe if they talk it out, they could actually work something out. Well, I, but if one of them's too far gone, you know, you can't yeah. quite work it out and you end up with her kind of having her, her ultimate spiritual experience on her side and one of the low points on Bao's side. There's I, both the, you know, the, if more effort had been made to understand the other, we might not have had some of the horrors that we see portrayed in this graphic novel. But also, if either side had taken more time for introspection, <laughs> we might not have had uh, yeah. more, so, some of the horrors that we see portrayed in this graphic novel. Um, it, it that that um, one interview that I've referenced a couple times, they mentioned uh, or uh, Yang mentions like this the journey that Bao is on is something that we're seeing portrayed a little more often in popular culture. They, they specifically reference breaking bad, I think um, of a, a character's descent into evil where they don't quite see at what point they've turned evil, <laughs> you know? And, and mm -hmm. if they'd had a little more introspection along the way, they might've stopped uh, go continuing on the path that they found themselves on. And there may come a point where they look around and say, Oh, I'm the baddie. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I've, I've become the bad guy. Uh, but they never do stop and, uh, you know, assess uh, the morality of where they find themselves. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting comment to make, especially for Bao, but in a, in, in a similar way for, or, well, a, a distinct and kind of different, but related way for four girl. And so I want to mention that for bow first and then talk about um, Viviana um, for him. You get these moments all throughout where he is descending, descending, descending and committing more atrocious, violent, terroristic acts. And yet there's also moments where he is. And, and like we said, violating his tenants, but also occasionally living up to them too, where he is, protecting people and also killing people. You know, he saves Viviana from, from his brother who is going to obviously do unsavory yeah. things. And then he kills her. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a complicated moment there. It's like, okay, he's doing something noble and also atrocious, you know, almost simultaneously, mm -hmm. you know, they, they are split by a minute. Well, and he feels mm -hmm. like, uh, again, like the the righteousness of his action is he is asking her to deny her devilness, right? <laughs> He's saying, renounce your Christianity and I will let you live because uh, that would 
return you to the proper status uh, of, of a Chinese person. And it, it's her uh, unwillingness uh, to do that and her actual uh, performance of a Christian act is, is when, when he kills her. Whereas what his brother was going to do was just his brother making an evil choice, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the wrong choice. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he still manages in his own mind to find a justification for uh, the murder, you know, this, this clearly ethically, morally wrong, indefensible act. <laughs> he does. He finds a defensible, you know, reason for it in, in terms of like the, the righteousness that gets tied up in their motivations. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to talk about kind of a, an alternate view for Vibiana as she is becoming throughout the story more and more Christian for the most part. It doesn't seem with a lot of conviction. Yes. Yeah. She doesn't understand until until that last moment. She doesn't understand Christianity. She has a lot of questions. Yeah. But she, she she's going for the cookies. Well, she's um, she's going because her family rejects her. She's going because she feels like she doesn't fit in at well, home, and, and she feels that Christianity is what they consider her already. And it her, is is a devil. Her initial motivation is, well, I'm treated like a devil. I should go learn how to be a devil. From the people that everyone's calling devils. And for, yeah, to do that, I need to go learn about Christianity. (laughs) We get this moment where, um, for girl or, or Viviana is praying and she tells, um, bow to, to listen because that's all she can offer him is the knowledge of a Christian prayer. And in this moment, she seems to finally fulfill her, her Christianity. She, she has, you know, a moment of, um, like religious ecstasy. She sees Christ. She is finally fulfilled in a way that really throughout the story, she doesn't seem to have had any religious conviction or commitment, um, you know, in a, in a belief that this is true. Um, but in this moment, she believes that it is right at least. And that seems to be what kind of tips her over into this compassion, this mercy on him where she wants to grant him something that may save him in some degree. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately it does, um, and she's one of the very few characters that seems to manifest this. Yeah, uh, I think it's important to note that it's the female characters who who manifest the compassion and mercy. Compassion, and in boxers they talk about how um, men can be polluted by yin, which is the female aspect. Yes, and we see well that's not such a that's not always a bad yeah, thing. As, as we <laughs> see in the story, the female aspect seems to be the right. Yeah, most it, of this time, it wouldn't be so bad to be quote uh, polluted by that. Yeah, to, uh, to have some of those that aspects a little bit compassion because um, and we didn't talk about it a lot, but May Wen, one of the things that disgusts Bao most about her is that she treats Christian wounded in their camp. Yeah, well, that doesn't disgust him, but he does question it when he notices it. Yeah, it it puts them at odds. Yeah, um, and she doesn't seem to hesitate about it. It's like he needs help. Compassion is what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the female characters are the ones who express this compassion. I, I saw the, so I read Boxer first and it is the story of a bow who becomes a leader of the Boxer Rebellion. Right. And obviously it, there's fictional elements and it's all, you know, wrapped up with this fictional origin point of the Boxer Rebellion with real historical moments of the Boxer Rebellion that have been well, well recorded. Uh, but it is, yeah, like, um, for example, Red Lantern a real, is a, a real mm-hmm. historical figure. Uh, and the names that their groups have, those are real historical groups. Uh, and and so when I picked up Saints, I, I expected this to be from, uh, like, a, a missionary's point of view. You know, someone who would come over with the goal of converting. Uh, and then when I saw it was Ford Girl, I'm like, oh, well, she must become, uh, uh, you know, a converted Christian. And as you noted, Andrew, like she doesn't really feel fully converted until those last moments when she's praying. Um, it's more of a, a social uh, conversion or, or, you know, somewhere where she can be because her family's driven her out. Like her family's not accepting her. The Christians take her in, but you don't feel like she has the fiery conviction of faith in Christ that you, that I expected when I was. Mm-hmm. That, that bow has mm-hmm. in his, you know, he is yes. full of conviction. Yeah. And, and so it was, it was, uh, it's, it's just an interesting, uh, form of contrast where I was expecting one thing. I got something else. I, and I'm not saying that this is the wrong choice. It's just different than what I expected when I had just read the boxer volume and I was picking up the same volume. And I think, um, and, and this isn't a statement about what, um, 
the story is saying is is the correct perspective or anything like that. Um, she is kind of fulfilled in her conviction at the end, even though she's not been fulfilled by it throughout the story. Whereas he has been fulfilled by it until the end, and then he feels abandoned. And and he also abandons it himself. Oh, I think that's a good insight, Andrew. Good job. <laughs> but but I don't think that's you know the story's not indicating that Christianity is fulfilling and and the alternative is not because both are shown to have had the fulfillment. Well, and also at to be unfulfilling points. at other points, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think on that point, that I think is going to wrap that, up this episode. Yeah, I think that's about as. <laughs> I guess any final thoughts, uh, John or Andrew, on boxers and saints? It really is uh, like captivatingly deep in its themes and its content and in the messages that it's conveying. I just don't know how to dig into them adequately. Yeah, there's definitely more there than what we were I able think... to touch on in this discussion. Yeah, but I also think that this was a work that really cement Jean Lu and Yang as one of the most important voices in graphic novels in our current period. And yes. Just have to wait and see what his next one is going to be. Like, I absolutely think that this is something that should be read in social studies courses or history classes, or, you know, it, it should be presented to people because I think it conveys it very effectively. These ideas of prejudice and othering and justification for atrocity and and the slippery slope um, that you can you can find yourself on in search of righteousness and things like that. There's a lot of great stuff to be learned from how the story is conveyed. And I think um, I've gained a greater appreciation of it through our discussion, even though I wasn't quite sure everything that we were going to talk about coming in. I, th- I think engaging a text that challenges you and struggling through uh, an effort to appreciate it more there's value in that even if maybe this uh this particular episode it's not like i came in with like okay i've got five great insights into this um i i knew this this text was worth uh having this discussion about even though i didn't quite know where the discussion was going to go and i i think um that shows that uh those those difficult texts are maybe texts that are outside of our comfort zone of things that we're already familiar with um there, there's value in just just going in saying okay here we go <laughs> Let, let's dig into this and see what we can find even as i know right now even after this hour-long discussion that we've had there's a lot more there there <laughs> um than we've been able to express yeah yeah i think it's also hard to talk about because you can't say oh this is my favorite character because everybody is right and wrong constantly mm-hmm. throughout like it's really complex to deal with these characters. I mean, like with Bao, even as you say, okay, there are absolutely unforgivable acts that he carries out as the leader of this boxer rebellion. You kind of want to see him make better choices and and be redeemed. <laughs> even as is like on the one hand, you're saying that's unforgivable. You kind of want him to be forgiven <laughs> or like earn forget. You want him to earn forgiveness. He he hasn't by the end, but you hope mm-hmm. that remains an option for him. Uh, that's tricky all right that's gonna wrap up this episode thank you for joining (laughs) us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice that and please leave us a review that really helps us out we would like to thank nick english who designed our logo and scott tofty who composed our theme music if you enjoyed this episode you might want to go check out episode number 23 when we talk about mouse or episode number 125 when we talk about american-born chinese or episode number 130 when we talked about the film the apostle you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jdorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at this minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Joseph? I had something. (laughs) (laughs) It was a minute ago, is before John responded in full about the female characters and the compassion. Oh, okay. I think I got it. When.